It's just not part of me. It's not a way and see. It's happening constantly. And you had too much to bear. This is why I never spoke Had too much to bear. This is just what life is over. See through me. And I can't see. Check your mic. Check, check. Check, check. Awesome. Working. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Spirit Animal. My name is George of the Jungle, and today we have Gianna Yoga. She is a practitioner as well as an educator in yoga and other practices. Um, we'll go ahead and start with a couple of questions here. But before we do start, uh, I wanted to go ahead and speak a little bit about our relationship and how we actually start to communicate or come yeah. about. So there was a, an event at a club or a, a, a coffee shop called Kava, Kava Bar. And then from there, uh, she came up and gave me a $5 tip. And then it just evolved to something bigger. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only tip she, person that gave me a tip that, that night. Yeah. Really? And I think I told Mercy to take that same $5 bill to give you a tip and put it in the oh jar. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're so funny. I didn't know that. But it was it was a great night. It was for Richard's birthday for Richard Lipton, uh, one of our mentors. Uh, but that's how we met connection or tapped together. Um, there was some things that we talked about throughout Instagram and some things that she was uh, touching points that are interesting to me and as well are interesting to other people who are fond of children or have offspring. Mm -hmm. um, so discussing karma or your personal views, big questions. Are we born with karma residue or does karma exist only in the realm of unknowing 
or does the one become conscious of it? So do are we conscious that we are doing bad when we're born or is that part of experience? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's so so I don't completely remember the conversation that I was having with myself over the internet, but I know it's a common thing. It's a common question that I have for my friends that do have kids are like, okay, now that you've had kids, because like in the yogic sense, like I come from the yogic context and we like to believe that everyone is eternally and essentially born good. But I ask my friends after they have kids, like, all right, do you really think now that you've had children, you know, some of us have the spawn of Satan as kids. <laughs> we wonder, I don't know, like you're new to this world. Is everything, you know, is this an issue? Um, or is this true? Is this a good person? And sometimes it's not true. And my yogic, you know, um, fellows who also teach and have been educating and practicing for a long time, they have said, I'm supposed to say yes, because I'm a yoga educator, etc. Um, but after having children, I would say no, because there are some things that you watch kids do or that maybe you've watched yourself do very hard to do at a young age, but, um, where you're like, that was intrinsically bad and nobody taught them that nobody taught them that what good and bad are yet really. And yet they're you know, testing these waters in the aggressive way. And so is there, and there's like, you know, there's full, all sorts of different philosophies around this. I'm not a Buddhist. I do practice, have Hindu practices, but because I wasn't born into the Hindu religion, I'm not Hindu. Um, but essentially we're taught that I study at the Maharishi International University. So I'm a student of Maharishi. And there's this idea that we are born with the karmic residue of where it is that we came from. Now, can it be your, it's said that when you get to the people realm, that you're of a higher, yeah, like you, you're probably already some sort of animal or something like that. Maybe you even have memories of past lives of being like wolves or something like that. I know I have things like that. And that even of the animal karma or like, you know, some of us were warriors in past lives and like different, you know, renditions of this existence of earth. We've been violent. We've killed villages. We've done all these different things that we now do in a smaller, more different spectrum, you know, um, whereas now we're just kind of like buying people out of their neighborhoods and making it hard for them to live instead of like going into villages and killing off populations. But that karma stays with you in some way. And so there's this idea that you choose your parents. So your soul or your atom or your essence or whatever is choosing this life. So you chose to be born to the parents that you were born to in this lifetime to help you get it. So you're born with whatever karma has come from the past and the circumstances that you're in now are here to help you or challenge you on that path. Like, 
okay, are you going to get it this time? You know? And though we're all born with some sort of challenge, like, you know, some people are born into lower socioeconomic uh, situations. Some of us are born with birth defects. Some of us are born with, you know, um, DNA that will be exposed later or genes that will be exposed later in life where we have some sort of terminal illness or, you know, mental illness or something like that. We're all born with some sort of struggle. And whether it is us having bad karma or good karma, we're born with a struggle. And we can say that that is our challenge for this lifetime in order to overcome it or use it for good or figure out how to transform it in this lifetime in order to help us like level up for the next lifetime or just be done with being human, like figure out what your life's purpose is. And then you can just like turn into a star, <laughs> which sounds better than being a human. It does. It does. But I try to not be like, okay, everyone is born good or everyone is born bad, but we are all born with a struggle and what we do with it is up to us. And those decisions we make are based off of our past. It's our job to figure out how to make better choices in this lifetime. So you're saying that karma itself, like uh, the good that we're, we're coming with, or as well, the, the gifts that we are presented with at birth mm -hmm. are like karma. They come both in the same sack. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's the residue of where we've been and every choice we make is creating our next version of us within this lifetime you know how many times already as a person have you lived and transformed you know we have so many deaths and rebirths within the lifetime we're in and it, what we are reborn into in this lifetime is affected by our choices of this lifetime. And it's the same lifetime of lifetime. So we should pay attention to these lifetimes that we're birthing and exploring rather than the ones that we haven't even tapped into. Yes. That is a really, people that are really into past life regression get really into the past. And sometimes they spend so much time working on past life regression and doing past life therapy that they forget the life that they're living now and that is counterintuitive but yes and because that is all you could spend you know i don't know 10 hours a week or something trying to like sit and be present with your past or and you can also use the lessons from this lifetime which is now the past the past you know as life keeps going to help you make better decisions for the future so there's no such thing as present past karma. It's just living in the moment. It's just now, now, now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the question is, because I have children myself. Yeah. And, it, and then knowing that they are evil, we tend to... <laughs> <laughs> we tend Tell to... More. Yeah, we tend to lay a lot on ourselves saying, okay, maybe it's because the way that I reacted. Mm. And, and maybe that's the repercussion of our acting that way. Sure. A lot of these parents do think that way we're like we're at fault because yeah. we need to be a better parent very good point yeah so why is it that right well we're all i like to think of us all as bubbles we're in our own bubble right we have our own little world and it is ours and while our bubble our world is bumping up next to another bubble even when you birth a bubble out of your bubble that bubble becomes its own bubble 
right? It's made up of DNA that is very similar to yours, but it is its own bubble now. Those bubbles will bump against each other for the rest of their life in some way because they came from you, right? But also because they're in proximity with you. You know, some people divorce their parents because it's not healthy to be around them. It's like, you're not helping me, you're abusive, blah, blah, blah. The bubbles are not touching each other anymore, but there's still some sort of residue that exists there. But the more your bubbles are bumping, the more you're affecting each other. So it's not like, okay, my kid is absolutely insane, right? You have like a three, four-year-old or something like that, and you're just like, what actually, you know? On a daily basis, you're just like, you're out of your mind. They could be out of their mind because they're four and their brains are literally not developed. Like your brain is not fully developed until you're 25. <laughs> so you're dealing with something that is complete mush, you know? They're like, they're, they haven't even started developing their visual center until they're out of the womb. You know, they're developing in this like little mush bottle, but they haven't had the, the um, feedback to have their visual system even develop. So now they have to take in all that information, blah, blah, blah. So all of that experience is creating them in their experience and their responses. And you interacting with them, your bubble bumping against this theirs is going to elicit a reaction. It's the ripple effect in anything, you know? So yes, you reacting to your kid in a certain way is going to affect them and for the rest of their lives, but also they are having their own world too. And when they act out, like it's almost like their responsibility to do that. They have to test the waters. They have to like see what hurts, see what, how they can push things, see what was right and wrong, see what your responses are to learn about the world. The goal is to not make them afraid of the world, teach them about the world that they're stepping into through you because you're their introduction to the world, right? But yeah, I can't, you can't all put, you can't put it all on you, you know? Like it's not, and culturally this is not the case for every uh, kind of culture that is raising a kid, but you know, it's not, the parents, it's not the kid's responsibility to take care of the parent just because the parent made them. Like you decided to make, to have a body created for a soul to take in, to take structure in. And then you have to like, let that soul find its purpose and do what it needs to, whether it involves you or not. So it takes a lot of work to detach as a parent from your roles as a parent and who you are as a person so that you're able to recognize your responsibility in facilitating their, you know, good habits and growing, but also allow them to become whatever unique thing it is that they become because you don't want to hinder that in any way. It's like uh, if your kid became a monk and found a spiritual path or became a priest or a rabbi or whatever, chances are that's like, you know, you'd be like, all right, like you need to do this. Okay, go for it. If they become like a professional bungee jumper or something like that, you're going to be like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'd be okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, like the riskier things are or something, the more we're kind of like, ah, uh, you know, the, or the more out of the box things are or extreme things are or the further it could take them away from us, 
the harder it is to like reconcile what the whole point of that whole 18, 25 years of raising the thing was. It's like, all right, I did that for 20 years now. All right, bye. You know, like when it's a whole, yeah. It's a, I um, am speaking like I have children and I do not, but, and there's a whole, like you open yourself up to a whole different existence when you have kids. It's kind of cool, you know. It's fun. It's interesting, but at the I same bet. time, it's like when you have separate eyes looking at you, or their perspectives on you as well. You're just do they keep you it. accountable? Do you feel like? Do you feel yeah. like you're a better person because of them? My smallest makes me a better person. That's cool. She's like, okay, daddy. She's testing you. You saw that? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? Uh-huh. I'll come, daddy. <laughs> it's cool. It is. She, and, she does make me a better person. Yeah. My my oldest i want to say we just tip noses and we might just be two alike mm. i don't know if that's a thing i've heard that a lot you know, yeah two long nosed people can't yeah, look at each other at all uh-huh. and we're just the same persona we, we carry ourselves the same way we just look alike it might just be the similarity mm. but we can't be in the same room for too long mm. interesting and it's either she's picking at me or i'm picking at her huh vice versa <laughs> I wonder what the lesson there is. Because <laughs> if she's a good mirror, yeah. you know, we're like, wow, I see a lot of myself in you. Like, what is there that she's trying to teach you that you haven't gotten yet, and vice versa? My patience. She always tests my patience. Yeah. And it, it's gotten better, I want to say, but my structure is just there. I just love for things to be in a certain way at a certain time, and that's how she tests me. So that would be the lesson, I think, just to be more lenient on her. Yeah, control is a hard one. Yeah, <laughs> very controlled when it comes to my children, and in a lot of perspectives in my life. So mm-hmm. she she showed me that as well too. Yeah. So that might have been a big lesson. Yeah, she might be not the evil one, but myself. <laughs> there's any time that there's like a butting of heads or like a friction point, it creates heat. You know, and like how heat also liquefies and like creates transformation so what it is that you do in like a friction point will determine what it is that you transform into you know and just the perspective of what where, what direction you take it to yeah you can chew on that <laughs> <laughs> i'm really chewing on it <laughs> so to get into the first question then let's focus off of evilness on children um, your daily routine as a child. What, what do you think? As a, as a child? Oh, Jesus. There was no daily routine. There was just no. everything. Um, my, I grew up with a sick parent. So my dad left for work in the morning and we were just feral. So we took the bus to school. You know, we took took care of ourselves. There was, at, there was a time where, like, the school was providing lunches, and then they stopped doing that. And because my parents didn't, like, communicate with the school or anything, they never knew that. So I'd go to school from, like, second grade and on without a lunch. Like, I'd steal food from my friends and, like, didn't never ate breakfast. Like, no structure at all. We never sat down to eat dinner together. We were, like, climbing on the counters to eat out of the cabinets, warming up frozen food from, like, the moment we could, like, reach a microwave or whatever. So... There was zero structure. Um, When I would make one of my parents mad, I would get grounded. I was the only one that got hit 
for there's four of us kids for whatever reason. But I think I was probably that kind of similar to my mom where I pushed her buttons often and I was like the bad one, just always kind of testing the waters. But yeah, there was no structure at all. Like I would take a solo cup and fill it with ice cream and walk to the bus stop at all seasons. <laughs> that would be my breakfast. Ice cream. And I ice cream. And I remember someone's mom told my mom and then I got in trouble. And it's like, okay, we can look at the parent kid relationship. It's like, well maybe if you made me breakfast or taught me about diet at all, I would know what I'm supposed to eat at this time of day. Otherwise I'm a literal seven year old. You leave me alone I want ice cream. You know? <laughs> so yeah, we were pretty feral. Yeah, I, I would say I could find similarities as well. Um, with my mom, my parents were separated. I didn't meet my mom until I was seven. Mm. Uh, but at that time, she she was the same way. You know, it's it's more like everybody knew how to cook an egg, so everybody knew how to cook. Yeah, <laughs> they just figured it out. Uh -huh. uh, my eldest uh, sibling, um, she just was always on her own. Um, bringing other people into the house and it was just a different environment, chaotic environment. So I understand your perspective where you came from. Um, yeah, my, as a kid, I, I can see, see why things happen and, and how they develop, but you, your parents should learn at that point in time as how we are learning. Yeah. Yeah. When you watch things develop and it's not developing the way you want to, you have to guide it along a little bit. Yeah. 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 And like, being in the, in the situation as as our siblings all have different parents mm -hmm. so it was always a tit for tat you know it's like you're you're this way because you're your father's this mm -hmm. way. you're this way because yeah. your mother's that is way. not helpful language so so it was a very separative yeah. know, environment and it was just a different growth mm -hmm. so i can see see the same perspectives of yourself now that that affected you in the past as an adult, do you think your routine has become stronger or you implement a routine or you're everywhere? If I could take my pants off before my shoes, I would. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't do anything the same twice. Mm -hmm. I don't teach the same class twice. I don't, like, I thrive in a um, chaotic setting. So it's gotten me better at that. I do, though, like routine. I. It's hard to stick with it sometimes, but I just find like little things. So like, for example, now I wake up, I meditate, I do an abhyanga, which is like an oil massage, and then I shower. It's like an Ayurvedic technique because I was probably, probably because I was raised the way that I was. I have more of a, like a windy, um, call it prakriti, which is like your true nature. So I'm more vata. There's more air and space in my system. So I tend to thrive in environments that are really spacey. And if I let myself be too spacey, I will just shoot off into the sky and like build a bunch of imbalance in my body, basically. That this is a similar or an interesting thing that yoga people try to do. They want to like go up and out and like, you know, just leave their body all the time and like, oh, I meditated for five and a half hours today. It was amazing. But like, that's not actually good for your physical constitution, which is what we're given now and what we're supposed to be taking care of. So 
I have to implement routine and structure because it builds stability for my like, very airy, windy theme. I can feel you. Once I get into something, it's like my mind's here and then like I finish one thing over there. Like you can see the substrates over there. I haven't put it into the <laughs> Yeah, because I was setting it up and taking uh -huh. a shower at the same time. Right, yes. that's we can relate. Lots of half-started things in my home. Exactly. I but, see everything through, but we start eight things at one time. Mm -hmm. yeah. But they get done at the end of the they day. They do. They yeah. do get done. Yeah. Get yelled at, you know, if you have a partner or not. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, have, I have lots of. I have like a productivity issue where I'm always producing. I don't ever like feel bad about not producing, you know, it's not like I punish myself if I don't get things done, but I like him always. Non-stop. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. Um, so routine is very important to me because yeah. it, I have animals' responsibilities. Right. Um, animals, yeah, very reliant. And I think that's what made me more structural. Yeah, more that's cool. Pathway. Mm -hmm. um, when I met Richard, one of our mentors and people that connected us, mm -hmm. um, I was very offset where I was stubborn, straight foreheaded, had nothing to develop with it myself, very egoistic. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to actually talk to me because mm -hmm. I, I thought I was over here. Interesting. Very hierarchy type of guy and um you know he taught me a lot he brought me out of that bubble took me on a couple rides and um, investigating my own self mm. gone to mexico here and there and he did put in a, a, a nice dent you know to remember something of myself cool but um yeah, yeah. we all need that like catalyst some like a uh, reflection either point or person you know to be like I don't know. I don't know if what you're saying is true. Exactly. Or I don't know if who you think you are is actually who you are. And he would question every single every single thing I would tell him. Yeah. Every single thing. He's always questioning me whether it's good or right or bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's why I liked him. Yeah. Because if whether you're on his side or not, he's still gonna hate you. He's still gonna <laughs> He's like, I feel the same about you whether you make a change or you don't. You you're still an asshole. <laughs> so you have a routine you have spiritual practices or spiritual techniques uh do you have a spiritual practice or religious practice so it's a two-part question meaning yeah. um your spirituality can be condensed into what your routine is and your religious affairs with a religion as a standing meaning do you communicate with christianity buddhism or any specific yeah. type of religion yeah i was raised catholic i went to catholic school my whole life um i think it was a way for my parents to feel okay about not taking care of us because it wasn't like there's a bunch of Catholicism in their lives it was just like Roman Catholic Italians trying to get you to just do what is like right which or you're going to hell you <laughs> don't know um, so that is of course part of me i find comfort in churches it's like the structure of like okay we're up down you know like whatever like there's something about the routine that is still very comfortable for me i don't go to church when i'm in other countries i do just to like get better acquainted with like the language and things like that but i don't I also have a lot of Hindu practices, but as a white person and as a yoga person and a yoga educator, I 
wouldn't identify as a Hindu, even though I, I um, benefit from a lot of those practices. I'm not like teaching other people to do them and I'm not like passing them on. They're just very personal. It's kind of like why I have a hard time being on Instagram and like sharing things on Instagram at this point in my practice and in my business. But a lot of my practice is because it's so personal to me that it is part of my spiritual practice. And in India, it's considered like the dirty part of your practice. It's like the cleansing techniques that you do. You know, you wake up in the morning, you do your abhyanga, your nasya, your, um, your gandusha, you're just like putting oil in all your poles and then you're cleaning yourself and then you're doing your asana practice. And that's like part of a, the cleansing preparatory time of your day. And then here are all these people on the internet just like, you know, stretching on a screen and it's like, what do you, that's not, you know, so it's part of what Western yoga is doing to make money, I guess. But also it's interesting. The family that I work for in India is like, um, well, India is teaching the West about, um, tech and the West is teaching the East about yoga, which is not totally the case. It's just more so there's a lot of, it's just whiteness at its finest. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like, that's why Bollywood exists because they want to be Hollywood. There's a lot of this like adoption of white being better and like American culture being adopted and like, if we look more American or do more American things, then we're going to be more you know, lucrative or whatever it is. You know? Birth of generic brand. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you see Americans practicing yoga or asana, like you don't go to India and everyone in India is practicing asana. Everyone has a spiritual practice, whether you're Muslim or Hindu or whatever it is, Buddhist, you're really, you have that, like that is the yoga that they're doing that we don't get the like asana on the screen and stuff. Because it's know? initiated sadhana, right? Where you have one practice. Yeah, I guess like when you're born into something, you don't even question it so much, you know, you're like, well, this is what we do. And so you're born with the knowledge or and given the knowledge of creating your sadhana or going about the sadhana with the guidance of, you know, whoever is teaching you about the gods or you know spirituality or existence because existence and the gods are one and the same um they're because of the other but your parents are not usually or they're not usually teaching you asana that's something that was reserved for the boys and the brahmin class and females practicing asana didn't really even come until like in your baby like this like rich french lady or something that was like come on let me do yoga and then did it and brought it to the west so <laughs> that's the long and sh- that's the short and short of it. Um, but yeah, so there's there's like that kind of um, there's that kind of relationship that I have with spirituality or whatever it is. But I am really into connecting with my teachers who are no longer here. That includes my parents. Um, but also includes Maharishi, it includes um, some of the 
my teachers that don't have faces or names yet, but are still giving me information, which is a spiritual practice. So, so would you say like the practices that you're referring to, like you're tapping into these these things with um, projections or astral projections, or these types of beings that are coming from another plane to give you information? Um. Yeah. So. I actually sit and I wouldn't say that I'm asking to project or like I've been taught how to read the Akashic records and things like that. And that was really great for me, but um, didn't feel like my method of healing or offering healing for other people. Um, so I still kind of sit in that space in hard moments. Like I sit and receive the wisdom from my teachers and my guides and they also come to me in hard moments so i'm not like using them necessarily but they're showing up when i need them to they're answering questions whether i ask them or not and then sometimes they're just leaving it up to me which is like also an answer you know so yeah i'm not using them to create necessarily it's just a natural part of existing like anyone can do it if they slow down enough and listen enough it's quite interesting that you said that like i wasn't gonna take turn into that conversation but uh santeria or something that i practice mm, yeah some of these, i'm pretty sure you're aware yeah. of it um there's a lot of things that um, our mentors or our padrinos consider sacrilegious kind of like what you're saying you know if you're, you're putting it on instagram and telling other people about it at that point it's sacrilegious to yourself i'm not sure if, if it's uh, some type of karmic thing that can affect you or something sure. can come back to you yeah. but that's what their belief is sure. so what she would practice with me it was like more like you write it down in your book mm -hmm. i'm not going to give you a book to learn from mm -hmm. you know you're going to watch me you're yeah. going to hear the mantras or the things that i'm practicing and you're going to recite them and it's all your rubric language like it's a it's a dialect that, that you can only hear by vowels and sounds like it's not something that you write out right. explain you have to hear it and vibrate with it and that's something that i felt like yourself like i tapped into that point where i, I communicated with the, the out there mm -hmm. and it was it was fulfilling for me but like you it wasn't something that i felt like this is my purpose mm -hmm. this is what i want to continue to right. do it's more like i went there because i needed closure mm -hmm. and like to push off because it was more of these people were doing good for me but they were more of doing bad for me i'm not sure if it was because of the way they went or the way that it happened or the way that the teachers were trying to come to me interesting yeah there's everything's a panelist for whatever you know like and you can take it and run with it or take it and leave it because that's also a lesson mm -hmm. and you know we always say a yes to something is a no to something else and vice versa so yeah there's there's a lot of things that i've tried you know reiki master and what all these fucking things that are like this is gonna i'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna, like you know <laughs> figure it out. i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna know everything and i'm gonna be enlightened because that when you start yoga there's this like promise of enlightenment or something right if you start any sort of spiritual practice whether it's in a religion or just in some sort of spirituality there's some sort of promise of a bliss state or a bliss place or something you know and you it's a way almost to just keep you seeking and if you have someone like richard or you have somebody that's kind of checking your ego all the time <laughs> you 
if it's not yourself or your teachers, it's, you know, somebody that is trying to just bump their bubble up against you in an effective way. You do, you know when what it is that you're taking in is good for you and when it's not. It's not to say that whatever it is that you're practicing is wrong on its own. It's just like, it, that is also there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Next up. <laughs> yeah. I think I felt to the point of bliss and I felt more connection on a psychedelic effect rather than practicing something ritual. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it was it was more of the, the blissful high yeah. and then getting to the point. But the lessons as well were more intuitive and connected to my sensory organs, my vision, my smell, mm. and my taste. So I feel like because I had that connection with what I was feeling and yeah. receiving, I put it at a higher level than my spiritual pulse or whatever, because I feel like I am the one doing it. And that just might be my ego talking sure. to humble, like wanting to represent myself as a humble person. Right. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I don't know the depths of Santeria or, you know, like some specifics to other, you know, sects of, of organized spirituality or, you know, even like going to do ayahuasca or whatever it is and like the kind of bastardization that has come up about commercializing that. Um, but... You know, I know we use these things like I, I think mushrooms are going to save the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all sorts of fungi can clean our insane residues that we've created. In this. Ah, so that's a nugget. Is, yeah. So you're saying fungi actually removes residue. It eats it. It produces enzymes that eat the, the residue, literal, you know, bacteria. Or it is a bacteria. It is a fungi that can eat the toxins that we've created in this world. Like it, it is a pretty incredible thing itself. Like a recyclable organism. Yes. But, and when you eat it, it can do a same similar way. It can produce these enzymes that can help you in digestion. It can, you know, literally reroute your brain. But what I was getting to is that there's these things that we take in to help us do that because you know, in Ayurved, there's these five principles, and your senses are part of the principles. Your mind is one of the principles. Your physiology is one of the principles. These are these things that we have that we can't get caught up in, but we need to use and cleanse and purify in order to find a clean physiology and a clean consciousness, which will give us optimal health. And Ayurved is this ancient Indian science, Vedic science of um, a long life. And they talk about immortality in the way that you can live life as long as you want to, as long as you keep your physiology, your, your consciousness pure. And so while you're awakening these different parts of you, you know, you start moving better, you start thinking better, you start seeing better, all of a sudden you don't need glasses anymore, your voice is more clear and pure, all about those things start to happen, you can't attach to those things. They are part of the process of cleansing and any sort of attachment produces resistance to that cleansing and to having a pure physiology and consciousness, you know? So anything along the way that is like making you grip to something where you're like, now I'm addicted to mushrooms because the only way that I can feel like I'm in a bliss state is to be high, you know? Mm -hmm. That's not it. And that's the contradiction of, I had a group of friends that slowly but surely just faded away, mm -hmm. um, but they introduced me into acid and other type of, of psychedelia. And 
I saw that where they were addicted to the, to being high, to, to being in that blissful state. But then I saw others that would use it and tap in like myself, like I'll tap in once a year or twice a year, you know, but it's, it's something that I feel like it's, I'm purging myself because I, myself, when I take mushrooms, I feel like I'm shitting out of every hole. Yeah. Like that's how Total I feel. Purge. Yeah. And like, I'm going into the restroom and then when I come out of the restroom, I'm just blissful and happy. Yeah. And then it's just like, if I forget, like I can't really say anything about it because mm. it's so hard to explain mm-hmm. um with lsd which was my i want to say the beginning of where i i kind of felt like i need to stop like i, I did it that time and I, I never did it again mm. because of what i saw and i was looking at the screen and i was watching the movie alice in wonderland never gonna be and I, <laughs> I started seeing just the You're road watching a movie about people on mushrooms on acid. <laughs> <laughs> i just started seeing the road yeah you know take the road it's easy slow take the road it's easy and it's slow and i was like oh shit like you're hyper focused yeah yeah <laughs> like, like i gotta get out of here but i can't i'm just gonna take the road yeah and then they, <laughs> on the news the next day donald trump had said something about uh the uh, pandemic mm-hmm. so we rushed on acid high as hell at five o'clock in the morning to get cans and dog food and stocked up with toilet right. paper <laughs> really really cramped your buzz i'm yeah. sure yeah yeah <laughs> But that kind of, you know, you are supposed to have those types of experiences because you did, right? Mm-hmm. You chose to have them. So that was supposed to be part of your healing. And as well, to get into those states shouldn't be reliant on those things. And when you have like, you know, that is, that is also you. Like the crazy manic you is also you. There's spectrums of us, right? Mm-hmm. When you see someone in front of you acting fucking crazy you're like that's also possible for me you know, like, we're all Should just really re- we're all just reflecting our own possibilities but when you have these like oh signs of elation and like you're reaching higher states within or after usually right a mushroom trip you're reconnecting neural pathways or you're reconnecting more with your true nature outside of the habitual mess up things that our brain does for us because of circumstance and you know life and the goal is to not forget who you are like not forget the depths of your your rightness or your your godness or whatever it is you want to call it your pureness because in ayurved we call it pragya apara which is the forgetting of your true nature and when you forget your true nature whether it's because you're eating the wrong things and you know it's bad for you you're treating yourself poorly you're not creating a routine you're not you know giving yourself time alone or rest or 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 movement or whatever it is you are going against your nature and so the more you know and the more you learn and sometimes it's acid or mushrooms or whatever that teaches you more if you forget that then you're going more against your true nature and your body will and your mind will go against you even harder so it's like dude you just you just did all that work and you learned all these things and you're still gonna forget that yes. you know we can be healthier we can be better to ourselves what come on you know so it's that all these things we choose to do are ways to teach us something and if we can keep those lessons as we continue we can see growth we can see change but if we keep forgetting all the lessons then you know we're just going to keep 
taking two steps forward, taking five steps back, which is a really That's challenging a life to live. And I see myself, I did that in the beginning, you know, and maybe I'm still doing it. You know, I'm not aware of it. Um, going forward and then coming back to the point where I, I met people in my life that taught me these things. And then I would pretty much say, fuck you, like, whatever, whatever you taught me, because I did it to myself, whether if it's they introduced me to healthy ways of eating or the way of just developing or the teachings that my godfathers and godmothers taught me. Mm. I might have done the same thing, but, you know, it's like, let's keep moving forward as well. Yeah. It's, it's like a lesson within a lesson, I would say. Right. When you punch yourself back and maybe you just need to be back for a little bit in order for you to realize it. Yeah, can't pull forward. <laughs> so how do you convert combine your work school spiritual practice and achieve what you call not perfect balance as what other people represent but what you call in your own perspective balance so yeah. how do you achieve all of that in your own balance it's taken a long time to for me to accept the fact that balance will look different in different stages of my life like I thought that practicing asana every day, like working on my spine every day and, you know, eating or drinking juice every day and like that was going to help me find balance. And I did that incessantly, which was not balance. I now, you know, if I'm in school and I'm working and I'm trying to take care of my household and my health, I'm not going to be on my mat for three and a half hours a day, you know, like sometimes just getting 20 minutes of movement down is my max and i feel good you know getting meditation in every day and making sure that i am just taking things off my list is enough i don't need to overkill everything but realizing when if i this is why i don't make lists because i will see it and i will try to check everything off before the day is over like i can't do a list everyone's like you just need to make a list and i'm like no <laughs> you know like that's the most common thing that people recommend when you're trying to find balance or find some sort of like you know uh, organization in your business or whatever and i'm just like no i trust that it will all get done and that's what i tell my spouse and i'm, I'm I'll fall for it because she's like, you need to get organized. Yeah. You need to find a balance. Like, this is my balance. Right? <laughs> I just need to finish that in yeah. two hours. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, there's this thing that exists in some of us that are used to thriving in chaos that we get it done and we have this, like, mental checklist. And I, I get everything done and then some. So for me, it's just about making sure that I schedule and rest. And meditation and knowing that I need a meditation practice helps me do that. So as long as I, it literally just gets done and it's not like magical, it's a lot of work, but as long as I trust and I have a tendency to fall towards a scarcity mentality where I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make any money today. I worked fucking 10 hours, but I actually made no money so i need to like well you know this like obsession of and the habit that we've been forced into in like a capitalistic lifestyle uh is not effective to finding balance you know balance is this like act right that we're always kind of moving 
and undulating between, there's always going to be some sort of shift. And because my work is not steady and I really only make money during like my busy time of the year, I have to self-soothe and trust a lot Mm -hmm. that things will just balance out, you know, like sometimes we're not thinking about money because we're in abundance. And sometimes we have abundance in different ways and not monetarily, and that needs to be celebrated, you know? So I have to always kind of trick myself into being like, you're fine, like stop freaking out. I like, you know, my grandparents had two houses taken by the bank. There's like a lot of fear inside of me with growing up with a, like abandonment issues with growing up without parents and all that kind of stuff. So it's Mm. this kind of Mm. being like, hey, this is not the you that's existing right now that is afraid. This is the you that was a child and is now an adult that is freaking out. Just Mm. relax, you know? And it feels like a projection almost when you're saying that, like, oh, somebody's Mm. telling you to say this. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Capitalistic society. For real. <laughs> For real. For real. <laughs> so you described your morning routine and you said that sleep is important. So to me, I've always wanted to make a balance or an adjustment to it because I can run off two hours of sleep and I can run off of For eight now. hours of sleep. Yeah. So it's very weird. Like I can sleep eight hours one day out of the week, but the rest of the week I'll sleep two, three hours. Because I can't, I can't just sleep. It's so hard for me to just close my eyes. Mm, what happens when your eyes close? I don't know. Like I feel like it's it's not producing anything, so I can't I can't stay you know quiet. Like I'll go lay down in my bedroom and then I'll say, okay, I need to finish this, so I'll wake up, come back, lay down for twenty minutes. It's tasks. It's not worry. So you're so, not like, you don't have anxiety. I don't. I don't have anxiety at night. Um, sometimes when I don't feel comfortable, either my stomach or it's growling or something at night, then maybe that uh, because I eat late. But other than that, it's just like I've never been able to keep a night schedule. Or it's probably because you don't have routine in general. If you have an eating routine, you always finish your biggest meal between 10 and 2 when the sun is the highest. And then you finish your last meal three hours before you go to bed then your body is satiated it's able to rest and not like being working on digesting food in the middle of the night or something like that that's the start to give your digestion regularity Mm -hmm. that'll help regulate your night but also screens and things like that like you have to really train your circadian rhythm so if you're taking in light when the sun is down, you're telling your circadian rhythm that it is light time. So it'll be harder for you to go to sleep. And then allowing yourself to kind of ride the wave of the day where like usually there's kind of a lull around three, just naturally, that's why siestas are a thing. Like naturally the brain kind of takes a around three o'clock. And then there's like a little bit of a, a, upswing but naturally we're like riding this wave down and so if you have like coffee after three or stimulants after three that's going to block what's called adenosine and that is what kind of builds up to guide you towards sleep so you want this you want to be guided towards sleep and your 
resistance to the natural lulls in the day will make it harder for you to wind down when it's appropriate to go to sleep. Yeah. So, so it's all about routine and light. Like if you, like when I'm jet lagged or something from travel and I get back and I wake up and I'm like, it's three o'clock. I'm not going to pick up my phone or even like check the time really because that's light. I'll go outside though and show my brain that it's dark. So I like walk around in the dark streets and then lie down again, not turning anything on to just remind my brain when nighttime is. Mm. Yeah, that's what I need to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sleep is hard, but it's really, really necessary because too, there's this thing that they call like sleep dirt in your brain that builds up and they've found correlations of that it it cleanses in the night like when you get full sleep and they have correlations of like bad sleep and then not being cleansed from the brain and things like alzheimer's and and that kind of thing parkinson's or yeah so for brain health you want that so one second let me see here what's going on we had a couple of people come so Sorry to interrupt there, but you were saying that the visual of UV. So it's very important with with the reptiles. Like we use UV a lot. So I keep them up. My Asian water monitor has a night schedule because of Australia and other places around the country. So I see those lights. So it's like kind of be hard for me. But maybe if I follow that routine like my animals. Yeah. Just set them on my end. You know? That's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all right, it's Australia there, it's Asia there. Where am I? When, who's going to regulate my light for me? That's where the wife comes. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Okay, so we talked about catalysts, but I did want to ask this question: Describe a point in your career journey that marked a change, a difference that you felt lead you to somewhat of a clear path so the catalyst that you said Mm. gianna changed here oh there's been so many changes but it has to be the first first one yeah (laughs) there were so many there's in the first one i don't even think was significant because like i was doing hair i was working in a salon and i was like i remember it was summer and i lived in chicago from chicago it's like one of the three months out of the year where you just want to be outside it's beautiful and I had no clients this one day and I was like can I just go home and they're like no you have to be here in case walk-ins come and I was like I'm not going to sit inside seven days a week or six days a week I worked at the salon and wait for somebody to hopefully come in so that I can make my money when it's beautiful outside and I'm doing nothing <laughs> they don't like when you they don't like that so there was that I didn't get fired but this realization of I was waiting to work waiting to live my life on somebody else's timeline basically was not enough for me I didn't care I saved a shit ton of money when I was working at the salon I, I was working at a huge salon in the city like we were rolling I never checked my bank. It was blissful. Never had that moment of like, okay, Gianna, relax. I was just like, whatever. And I quit and moved to India. I got rid of my shit and I just left. And 
I wasn't teaching yet, but I was learning. I had already been practicing for a couple of years. And I told my work that I needed to go and like do these things. I was like, I'm working at the Mother Teresa Foundation and I'm going to volunteer at this um, animal shelter. And they expected me to come back. And I showed up one day to just like say hi to everyone. And they asked me about my trip or whatever. And then that was the last time I walked in there. And I went to teacher training and studied with Bikram and then just kept studying. Went to the Patabi Joy School in Mysore, India. Um, I studied with the Bihar School. I studied with some of the teachers in the States that have taught me um, and taught internationally over the years. And that has, I started with Bikram Yoga, with Bik, which Bikram is a man from India who brought hot yoga to the States. It's the first hot yoga practice. It's hatha in a hot, humid room. He's canceled, doesn't live in the States anymore, went back to India and, you know, sexual harassment, all that kind of stuff, which would happen, is what happens when a Western philosophy or a Western-minded philosophy infiltrates with, or uh, intersects with power and money. Oh, there you go. But, and I learned a lot about how I was supposed to be in this framework. Bikram teachers tend to be very like kind of thing. And we're, we were taught these poses that should be done in this way. And people just eat that up and make you do things. And so I was like, I don't know if I, I love not listening to people. So <laughs> I would understand why someone would like just be like poking at a Bikram teacher because they want you to listen to them or something. So I would say my my real transformation within the life that I'm living now and the life that I need to be living now came when my dad died when in 2015 and two days later I got in a motorcycle accident and crushed my pelvis and uh, didn't have a helmet on, smashed my face against the um, the car. My wife at the time was on the back of my bike. Um, this was in Chicago and she was fine. And I was in the hospital, got surgery and all that kind of stuff. And I missed the wake for my dad. And he was like my dude. And they like wheeled me to the burial because they were like, they tried, we, I ch checked myself out early. I like wanted to make sure I had insurance at the time. I don't anymore. <laughs> but um, I wanted to make sure that insurance was gonna cover everything if I left early. And they were like, yeah, I guess whatever. So I left and they tried to get me to the wake. I couldn't get out of the car. I was in too much pain. I was like stuck. And then they were like, all right, everyone's going to start wheeling out of here, go to the burial site. And so they like, you know, across with a broken pelvis across the grass to where they were going to put my dad in. And it was a softening that I felt right away like after i was after certain maybe i was high uh, maybe i was like on a lot of morphine but <laughs> people were cut like the doctor came in and was like just you know you're in a bad accident you might never walk again and i was like okay Shit. um what and i like looked at my wife and i was like can you tell this guy to leave because like you don't get to tell me that i'm never gonna walk again i've never seen you before you never even touched me you don't know what is going on with my body um and people were visiting me and stuff and there was just like a peace that i felt where i was like 
everything is going to be okay. Like that in, when you actually connect with that inner knowing in a moment of chaos where like, I just lost my only support system, like the healthy parent in my family that was supposed to be around forever died. And I just lost my body basically. And to find peace in that kind of chaos, I think was a big shift for me where I don't know what the chaos that anyone is going in onto the mat is. And I don't want to help them even figure out that they're in chaos. I want to present teachings that are going to help them write the story that they need to write. And it, I don't care what story it is, whether it's like, you know, in this lifetime, I need to make drugs. I need to just make drugs. <laughs> it's my life passion, you know, whatever. It's like, great. None of my business. But if you find some sort of peace in whatever it is that you're doing, as long as it's not hurting other people, making drugs probably selling things probably hurting but you know what if whatever you're doing is fueling for your life and creating a better good for you i want what i am sharing to do that for you because clearly it has helped me so far to do this now and so that was really when i shifted out of asana obsession i shifted out of really working on my social media stuff i started i got a divorce a few years after that and realized I wasn't happy in my marriage. Um, I moved back to Arizona. I lost my house. I lost my car. You know, like I had nothing and it was the happiest I had ever been. It's always losing something. It just strips you away. Yeah. It makes (laughs) you look at everything differently when you, especially with like, you don't know your life ever without a parent. You know, you're born because of them. They're there all the, like in different constructs, like some sort of parental figure. When you lose them, someone that's been there for you forever, you have to reevaluate who you are now without them. Especially if like, you're like, oh, I fucking I'm lost in it, you know, before phones and shit. It was like, I call my dad all the time and be like, I'm at the corner of Belmont Sheridan, fucking lost. How do I get to blah, blah, blah. And you would just give me directions through the stupid city that I'm from, you know, like that kind of thing where you're like, fuck, I'm lost and phones don't exist yet. How am I going to get home or whatever it is, you know, like that kind of instinctual thing that you look for just basic support on a daily basis when they're not there anymore. How you show up for yourself is telling as to how you're going to step forward in your future. You know, if you don't show up for yourself and you just find someone else to fill that hole for you, you're probably not ready to create or write, or you're not actually writing your own future. You're just a circumstance to whatever it is that you stepped into. I can relate a lot to those circumstances, but I'd like to ask this. So you're saying when we lose someone who we loved, you know, or somebody who was close to us, but what if, this is the what if, you know, we ever <laughs> not had that person to love, to have that affection, you know, where you actually raise yourself as a child. Because there's a lot of us out there, especially yeah. us entrepreneurs, where you practically raise yourself on your own. Yeah. And how would you explain that to them? Like, when is it that their catalyst is coming or did they create that at the point where their love was lost? Right. Well, I don't think that you have to lose a loved one to have a catalyst. Mm-hmm. I also think that there is someone always 
that is important to someone, even if you raised yourself, and it might be you. And then the death of who you were in different parts of your life will turn you into something else. And there's something to mourn there. Say, say if you raised yourself, really, it was just you and you found community in drugs. And so drugs started to raise you. At some point when you want to kick drugs, you have to kill the you and anything that is attached to the you that is drugs in order to not be drugs anymore because drugs raised you and you became drugs. And there's a death there to help you transform into the next rendition of who you are or who you're going to be. And so there's a cattle, there's a friction point that you have to come up to. And just because it's not representative of the person by a person who actually birthed you into this world, it is still something you've known for the majority of your life sometimes at that point, right? So the mourning of something is what pushes us to that greater knowing or that greater knowledge, you're saying? I think it's friction itself. It's friction. Just itself, because it doesn't have to be the death, say, or the mourning of it, like, how do I get over this or whatever it is. It's any sort of burden or blockage that you come up to, how it is you show up and how it is you learn from that thing or don't is going to be the catalyst for something. Might not be positive change. It might be just a lot of the same, but you're going to keep hitting that same block until you get it. That yeah, makes sense. Even with people that you call acquaintances, you know, those people become something of you mm -hmm. because you're taking whatever they taught you. And, and like you said, the morning, um, I think my catalyst would have been, I had issues with, with uh, love, you know, the people who were around me, they were always gone, there was nobody there. Yeah. So having, affection to women was my 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 wrong where i was always wanting uh attention from women wanting attention just from the opposite sex yeah. and it wasn't because of the morbosity of what i thought it was it was more because i felt like i had more connection with a woman than a man mm -hmm. because i felt like my mother was never there so right. like when i went back there i was like oh this guy was sad because he never had yeah. that female affection yeah and if i get this then i can feel loved or exactly. then I can accept myself. Exactly. It's, it's outward validation. And I pushed myself to the to the limit where I was like having redundant conversations with people where I thought I could help them as well mm. because of what I went through. <laughs> but the opposite, I was hurting them by them falling in love mm. or vice versa. I was falling in love and vice versa was happening. And it, it created something even more catastrophic for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's important to note, you know, like, okay, I'm creating this pattern for myself, but why? Mm -hmm. And how can I soothe that part of me? Cause it still lives there, you know, where it's like, okay, you were effective. You know, you helped me feel love again, this part of me. Thank you. But we don't need you anymore. I know how to feel love now and I want to give it to myself take a seat you know <laughs> and we'll i uh, will proceed without you i'll let you know if i need to you know because we are a product of our upbringing in so many ways in most ways and if you're never aware if you don't actually take responsibility for the choices you're making and for the situations you're in then and there's plenty of us that end up in the situations we end not not because of our choices you know like 
I didn't choose to be born to this person that didn't want me or be born in this, you know, like, it's just kind of, there's, there's um, circumstances that don't equal out to this for sure. But there's also, you know, if you're an adult and you're making choices based off of the child you, they're probably not going to be effective for your growth. And if you just keep saying, well, this is how I am, then you're not taking responsibility for who it is that what you were and who how that is making you who you are. Well, the only purpose only of going back is because you want to fix it. You know, and that's what people need to understand. You don't want to remember something just to be bad on yourself and right. put yourself down. It's more like, what are you going to do to hug him? What are you going to do to hug her? You know, how is it that you're going to fix it? Yeah. And that's what I learned with all these relationships that I developed, unfortunately, in the bad way. But, you know, the, that was my catalyst, right. you know, to actually feel the loss of love that I was giving these people because I was an asshole where I like, like I led you on and I just like boop, fell yeah, away yeah. because I took what I wanted and, and I wanted to, to an extent feel like I needed to betray or, or show some, some type of courage, you know, to say, yeah. Oh, I'm better than the love that I never received from my mother. Just that's, that's the way I saw it. Right. I still, I still have to tell myself like, no, you decided to show up here. Yeah. You wanted this person to love you because you love them. You don't, you have, you can stay because I was used to everyone leaving me. And now I'm like, well, I can just leave everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to actually tell myself, like, you can't run after the highs. You know, it's like people fall in love with the falling in love and then they get addicted to that. And then when they're like, well, when I can't teach you anymore and when I can't be, you know, in this bliss state of, love all the time then i must go (sighs) disappear into the darkness um but that's not that's healthy that's not healthy and that's not life it's chasing the highs and it's looking for some sort of outward satisfaction to let you know again that you're okay because when you hit something that's hard and you feel bad and then you feel bad about yourself it's not as good as feeling good and feeling high on endorphins and shit like that those things are powerful and addictive. And addictive. <laughs> you have to be careful. Yeah, falling in love is. So you you can't just say the catalyst is losing, but also no. giving too much. Right? And the catalyst is just friction. If you if you have the same thing happening to you all the time, the only similarity in all those situations is you. Mm-hmm. So if you never decide to meet yourself in those challenges and be like, all right, we got to like look at us, then you're never actually welcoming in the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. You're just finding a way how, to continue with the addiction. Yeah. Like, how can I be this way? I got to go over here. That's why this is probably not good to say, but if I meet someone and they don't have any friends that they've had forever, like five years or more, like I, I have one of my friends who we don't talk all the time, but like we're homies still. I know from three, my whole friend group is not like, I don't know anyone from high school basically anymore, you know, whatever it is. But if you keep meeting somebody that has no friends or like can't call up a homie from the past and then be there for that person, it's probably because they keep burning every bit bridge and acting out their habits their bad habits on another group of friends, on another group of friends, on another partners, other partners. And they just keep doing that over and over again until they have no more bridges to try and cross. 
you know, it's very telling. That is, I'm sure, not the case for everyone, but I use it to vet my partners and it's worked so far. It's a good way to vet <laughs> because you can tell a lot from a person who like has befriended or divorced their family, like okay. per se myself, I, I don't have any contact with my family, sure. but I still keep contact with humans that have met me in jail, that have met me throughout the years because these people push me to become who I am. So yeah. they're kind of like the way I see them. They're like, oh, they're my stepping stones. Yeah. So now what can I offer from the good life that they have given me to make them feel better? Yeah. And I think like we have these people that I spent probably seven hours with one this one person and, and she is a friend of mine forever because of what she showed up as during that time, you know? There's one time I was having a really bad mushroom trip. I was probably like 22 or something. And Depeche Mode was playing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in the middle of a concert. And she saw, I was like, I have to get out of here. And she just kissed me on the face and said, go. And I I was like, you know, okay. But she like, I don't know any, I don't know anything about her life, but she's such a positive glimmer in a hard moment, which is, that in itself is like, okay, that is what I want to be for people. Like the one guy that smiles at you in line when you're getting groceries or something and he's not like a total dick. With When you're like checking somebody out, working a service job, and the one person comes up and they're like completely pleasant and and thankful and joyful. Like though that those tiniest of interactions to the biggest of interactions can be positive, you know, you don't have to tell someone to go out into the wilderness and live their fullest life, but just to be some sort of positivity in people's day is going to uplift your day as well. And like, if you're going to impact people all the time, you're just going to bump your bubble against everyone else's. Why not have it be a joyful and a pleasant, you know, opportunity for them. Like the other day, you surprisingly that you said that, I went to drop off my daughter and I dropped her off on Uber and the guy, when I came back in, looks at me and he says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Hmm. And I was like, okay, like, who do you, who do you talk to? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like high five. I don't know. Great like, things. That was the only, yeah. only thing he said, no yeah. conversation, no yeah. nothing. And then mm-hmm. when I left the car, he's like, have a blessed day. Nothing yeah. else to say. Very short dude. Don't like, okay, angel. Like, I know right. those are the angels that come in and There's out. There's so many of them. And it's like shit. Like I'm surrounded. Right. <laughs> yeah, and we need those things to remind us that like we're doing a good job. Yeah. Because it's very easy to be like, fuck, I'm not doing enough. Like, I don't know. I'm managing all these balls. They're all just gonna fall at some point. But like, you know, that reassurance that it's like doing new things helps. Right. It does for sure. <laughs> yeah. Let's go on to the next question. Uh, why did you choose yoga or did yoga choose you? Mm, I, honestly, I was just, I was in a bunch of back pain and joint pain from doing like wreaking havoc on my body from a young age and on, and then standing in heels and stuff like that behind the chair doing hair. And one of my clients was just like, you should go up the street to this yoga. So you know, she was the little birdie that came and delivered that message. But it could have been anything else, you know. People get into CrossFit or whatever it is. It was just I was ready for something more. You know? And yoga happened to be that many. Yeah. 
So it was just it was you just was making that decision. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I feel lucky. Did you have a particular line of business prior to becoming independent? Meaning you did explain that you uh, did hair or hair salon. Okay. So before you did that, because that's some type of dependency. Some people are barbers. Some people we call themselves independent okay. contractors. Before the hairstylist, before the yoga, was there something that you did like a cashier or something else or something that you found yourself doing again and again and again? Mm. Um, so I finished beauty school and high school at the same time. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I started working in the salon at 18. And then before that, I did everything from, like, summer jobs of um, filing things for offices to coaching gymnastics and running parties for kids and things like that. So I had – I had, this is where, like, my, my privilege is, like, very great, where – I just had a lot of ins. I did gymnastics as a kid. And so when I was 15, I just started doing these parties for kids. And then um, when I needed my, I'm from Chicago. My dad grew up in Chicago. He's got 10 siblings. His, he's, they're all of them were in Chicago. Like it was, I never had a hard time finding work in a pinch or temporary work or, you know, kind of odd odd jobs but my job as a kid was gymnastics i was there five days a week for four hours a day because you wanted it or is something that your parents put onto you because i was so unruly they needed to wear me out so that i would go to sleep at night so when i was three they put me in gymnastics wow that's my daughter that's what my wife says sometimes we need to put her in gymnastics like she's very wild out there just out there that's how I was, I think. Yeah. You need an outlet. And when it's something that is positive where you can like understand your body and play with shapes and stuff, it becomes very stimulating for me. Like that's the only time I was focused to like be on a balance beam and do a backflip or a flip flop or whatever it is. Like you can't be anywhere else. And that was my version of focus at the time. Otherwise there wasn't a lot of it. So you did jack of all trades before you went into uh, hair salon, hair salon, into yoga, right? Those were your three career paths or Basically. two career paths to your freedom. Yeah, I had an Etsy site. <laughs> an Etsy site? Oh, yeah. Back, back in the day or this is back recent? Back in the day. Oh, nice. Yeah, probably 2006 to 2008. Oh, so you're the Kickstarters. <laughs> Back in the day when there was no social media, we just put it on Etsy. Etsy and emails. Yeah. <laughs> give you a flyer, a paper flyer. Wow. <laughs> that sounds interesting. It's like, here, you throw this out. <laughs> There's no SRQ. You have to type it in. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have to guess where this location is. So did you have a, uh, a beginning or somewhere where you started along the line back in the day making jewelry or did this just come into play as an independent yeah so that's what the etsy site was i um i actually did uh roadkill art basically so taxidermy yeah um and it was all found it was just funny because i was vegan at the time but i so i would use all their bones for earrings and rings and plugs and jewelry things like that so 
that was what I first started doing. And I had, I went to college for a short amount of time for audio engineering. And I went to Columbia College of Chicago, which is like a big art school. And I knew I was going to go there. So not only did I manipulate my stupid uh, Catholic school into letting me leave halfway through the day to go to beauty school, first and last person to do that there. <laughs> but I also told them that I didn't need to take all these other classes. I could just take all the art classes because I'm going to art school. So I took every art class that was offered, what which was a lot of the time. You're going to hell or if you don't allow Gianna. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but like I'm very convincing and adults liked me when I was a child. I don't know if it was because I was kind of snarky and like had sarc a good sarcastic sense of humor and that was like that kind of smart where you're like uh oh you know when you're an adult you know this this person's gonna be trouble i just <laughs> or i just like got along with adults um kids my age were annoying to me which is probably a, a sign of something but i should have but that was like all I did. So I was like, I was doing photography constantly. I was always in the dark room. I had a, an art teacher that introduced me to um, metal and jewelry making, um, sculpting. And so I got really into that. And I was minoring and I was getting a major in um, audio engineering and minoring in photography and had a mental breakdown and dropped out of school like which school one day it was on fire and I was like I can't do this anymore and so I quit and got the job at the salon and was making jewelry and um moved into a camper with my bandmate and the um accessibility to we were in the camper for like two years that accessibility to some of my tools and stuff made it harder to do so I kind of took a break from it for a while and then moved to Austin, was doing it again, took a break from it. And now I just feel like I have more of the space and the need for that because I'm not addicted to asana, which I was for the first like seven years of my yoga practice where it was like all my creative energy was going to that and, you know, creating new shapes and exploring my body. And then, um, you know, now I feel like I have a lot of creative inspiration around me. I'm doing more music again. I'm doing more um, jewelry. And it's like just all kind of coming together, even like creating her herbal um, remedies and things but based on the Ayurvedic wisdom is all kind of like, you know, just it's all packing up into a nice package. Yeah. Slowly but surely growing. Always. Everything. I need a lot of stimulation. Really? Would you <laughs> I like just need stimulants? to be. <laughs> it's all you. Um, I need. I just like always have to be creating something. I can't have just one job. Like it's never going to be my path. So it's. Amen. You know. You know, it's not the only person that I heard and say that. You know, I say that myself, and yeah. I tell that to my spouse. And she, she's kind of stuck in the route right now. But we both worked online, mm. and she's very sick of being stuck with the conversations <laughs> she finds herself very into the conversation like it's happening to her mm. rather than it's just happening for a moment onto the next person yeah. <coughs> but i understand that we've we've done it for like almost five years she's going on six with that company so it's like 
it becomes a breaking point where she wants to grow and push on to the next thing, but she feels like she can't, you know, she doesn't have the wisdom or she doesn't find the push because she, she's not encouraged. And I can't encourage her because the same thing, like, as you might see, like having a loved one, we're the last person to tell them what to do. We're the last person that we should be telling them what to do. You know, yeah. It's more like they have to figure it out on their own. Yeah, but it sounds like she is getting the push and like mm-hmm. the wisdom is what is interrupting her contentment in the situation she is. So she is being asked to to step forward into something new. It's just like a leap that you have to take that is... That leap of faith, you know, yeah. we all just need to take it at one point. At time. some point, yeah. It's it is scary. And sometimes we just need to step back and feel comfortable at sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy what we have. Kind of ride the wave. But never settle. Never settle. <laughs> contentment is different. You can have contentment in anything you're doing, even if you're not settled. Explain. So contentment is like such a word that I think is like a stigma to American culture where it's like, you should never be content, always strive for more. And it's like, if you don't find contentment in everything you're doing, you will hate everything you're doing and never be at ease. Even if you know, like, this is temporary, but I'm, you know, content in, in this space of my life. I know I will be something else later, but this is good for that. You know, it's just like an ease that you have no matter what the thing you're doing is. It's more of a self-soothing practice rather than a sentence. Yeah, or accepting the space that you're in and just allowing you to feel whole within any job you're doing, whether you're shining shoes or managing a company, you are a whole person. Yeah. I think I felt that, felt that from my grandfather as that he would represent that and I would strive for that, that, mm-hmm. that sense of happiness that urges with, you know, just a stranger yeah. is just sent to move with him. And it was because he was always smiling with mm. whatever he did. Yeah. You know, he just carried himself with everything, whether if he's washing the toilet or doing some job or anything, he was always just whistling and a happy person. Amazing. Because it was just so much of what he endured as a child. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I wish we would have endured that because mm. it might have put us at the same level of those people. You know, that sure, but he great. went through it so that he could teach you what happiness looked like and then you can embody that as inspiration. To, a, to an extent, to yeah. an extent, because he pushed his ways on me. He was a wrought iron worker and uh, cool. had learned to grind and, and weld at the age of 12. So yes. it's a very iron worker man, and it was kind of hard to move him from his structural ways. Mm-hmm. So we had beans on Sunday, and it had to be that. Uh-huh. Yeah, when you continue in the same, you see more the same. And any disruption of the same is... Yeah, and it's not even just like an inability. You think like, oh, he's just he just is set in his ways. It's like your brain is so set in your way that way, and like taking even another route home is like impossible for the brain. You need to like soften your frontal lobe. You know, it starts to calcify. You have to, yeah, the fluidity of life can show up in in the physical body so that it influences fluidity in the mind. I didn't learn that until I met water. And what I mean by that is, like, we don't actually value the power of water until we study it. Mm. You know, until I found water, that's where I was. And then talking about the love or the, the, the loss of love, the loss of love was what led me to the water. And what I mean by that is my godmother, uh, who 
brought me into Santeria. She left uh, to Pennsylvania without telling anybody, and she left me all her stuff and her saints and everything. And I was like, oh shit, like, did she die? What's going on? Like, she's not telling me anything. <clears throat> she did have medical problems, but she just left out of the blue. And to me, it was like, I was depressed in the moment. Like, how am I going to live today? Like, what am I supposed to do with these things? Like, I don't have the power that she has. Like, I have commended her to, like, this idol. But when she left, you know, she she was the one who brought me to Oshun or the water. That's where I found fluidity, where I found to be just chill and relax. And she, out of nowhere, slapped me in the face or do just random things to just make me think, you know, like, wake up. And she would she would do these things out of the blue, but it had a sense, kind of like the way you explain yourself and your your, your way of being. Yeah, yeah, and even her leaving was like a good slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wake up, bye. <laughs> and she left. She left because of what she was going through in her life. She had issues with her son, and her son was just trying to take advantage of her mother. Yeah. Sadly, she got. You know, screwed over with her own family, and now she's mm-hmm. back. But it hurt me to the point where, like, why didn't you tell me you were leaving? Like, yeah. What was the plan? Like, when were you going to tell me this? Right. I would take her to her visits for a doctor. Like, it was a routine with us, like, we had developed. Yeah. But she needed to break that routine without her knowing. Right. Like you're saying, soften mm-hmm. the quartet mm-hmm. <laughs> on the low. Making a new decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So do you consider something or someone in your life? It could be an animal, it could be a human, as an inspiration? Um, or do you not idolize anything? Yeah. It's kind of hard to think. Yeah, I used to be really into idols. Um, just as like a way to align myself with the consciousness of something else. You know, like, all right, I'm really into Shiva consciousness. I'm going to align myself god or deity and i don't do that as much anymore and i think my dad was a big inspiration to me because i watched him with my mom who you know was had dementia was in a wheelchair and by the end of her life we were just like moving this fog sack around and it was like all right you know this is relentless, but I wish he let us in on a little more. Now that I talk to like my aunts and uncles and stuff, I've gotten a little more of like the truth of the story, but I never saw him be mean to her. And she was very not nice for a lot of her, the start of her disease. She was uh, mean, she was aggressive, she was just really not a nice person. And before that she was, and I was a teen, I was 12 or 13 when things started getting really bad. And so I didn't know that that was going on. Nobody actually sat us down and was like, just so you know, your mom has Huntington's disease and this is how it's gonna go. We just like, I don't even know how we found out. She just started telling everyone and I guess we were like part of that. But there was never this like, okay kids, like this is what's up with mom or, we just kind of like accepted what was thrown at us all the time. And, you know, I have pictures of like up until he was, he had um, ALS and he had like a breathing machine, always had a mask on to keep him breathing. And 
he was mentally there, but he was just enduring his body dying. Whereas my mom was not mentally there and her body was dying. So I have this picture of them both on the couch and they're, he like moved from his chair to go sit next to her. And I have another picture of them. He was, my dad was still well and he was dancing with her in her wheelchair. And there's just that kind of, that kind of resilience. Cause that shit, like that keeps me from having kids where I'm like, I don't know what that is gonna do or be or how, if it's gonna be healthy or not, or, you know, if I'm gonna have to take care of you forever, like I can't, I don't know if I'm that good of a person, you know? And when you see somebody do that, you, when you actually see that it's possible, you remember that it's possible in you as well. You know, all these people are mirrors of us. And so I guess that's my most tangible vision of inspiration. Is it the, the uh, motherhood or the, 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 the fact of, of what the happening is in other people that makes you happy? I, it's more of, like, my dad is inspiring to me because I know the circumstance and I was in the circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. But what the inspiration is itself is, it's kind of just that people, people are resilient and can find joy, even from an outside seemingly really sad and unfortunate situation because when I think of the way people came up to me when my mom ended up dying after my dad which is the craziest thing but when people came up to me at that funeral and they were just like really dumbfounded by how tragic my circumstance was or my, my life was or that life was it wasn't for me even though it was really hard and challenging and it's made me shitty in certain ways and great in other ways there was a lot of joy found in those moments and in that house and my dad made everything light and he it's why i make fun like fun everything's funny to me which is challenging for other people but like if you lose your sense of humor, then we've got a problem, you know? You lost your fanatic at that point. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, like, I think the ability to find joy in any circumstance is, like, really inspiring. That's what that's what inspired me from my grandfather, I would say, that he would be your dad, you know, like a representation <clears throat> because of what he went through, the endurance he had to still laugh and be happy about it. This was a guy who was raised in the era of like carrying sacks of rice in his back. Right. Like he, he went through it yeah. and like no parents, no, no guidance or anything. But how did he make it to bring his disabled daughter? Because that was the reason that they came to America. Yeah. He had to become something in order to bring his daughter to come and get medication over the States. Yeah. So it was all just set in stone for him. Like there was no like this is my dream. I'm gonna do this on the side and this and that. And, like he had a focus on his work. Mm 
to just focus on the pinpoint things he had to do for his family. Yeah. So there wasn't just him involved. It was more like everybody, everything around him. So not just his family, but like his workers, his employees. <clears throat> he was betrayed by his employees in Mexico. But it was like things that he was still happy to be in. Like he was still laughing about it. <laughs> yeah, the resilience of humans is so interesting. It's really fascinating. It is. It is. It really depends on the, like you say, the push and how far yeah. that bubble can be popped or become stronger. Right. Let me turn off this air. It's really cold. <laughs> chilly? Uh, let's see. So he was your inspiration or your aspiration in life as well. Um, what spiritual techniques have you been aware of that you use on a daily basis? Maybe not a daily basis, but you remember like you, you've done this since you were a child. Like this is something that might be a mannerism or it might be a tactic that you used. To Self-soothe? Yeah. I'd go upside down. Really? Yeah, we had this like ceiling in our house. I was little, maybe like four. And I would stand on my head against the wall and I would look up at the ceiling and I would imagine just walk, how fun it would be to just walk on the ceiling because it was like down, low, pitched, not, it was bizarre. And it was what felt like hours of my day <laughs> where I would just be on my head and imagining doing something that I couldn't do. And I still do that. You do that in your mind or do you actually physically just like, hey, I want to walk. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I get upside down and... Sometimes I'll like be doing it also in a demonstration or something, and I'll be like, "Oh, I can only do that in my mind. I can't do that in my mind. I forgot. <laughs> we can't fly yet. <laughs> that that's cool. So, do you find that that is something that, like you said, as a child you did, but has expanded your creativity not only as a mannerism or a tactic, but has it pushed you to something bigger to use in your creativity or your thought process? Well, we call it perspective changing. You know, like you turn yourself upside down and now you got to see the world upside down. And so I think I do that a lot. I, in certain challenges and things like that, flip it around. And that helps me see something that I didn't see before. So it's a it's a problem-solving technique and a create, creative, creativity thing. I find myself doing that a lot and, and it's really hard for me to 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 concentrate in one thing because of like i don't know it's my thought process or how i think mm -hmm. but i tend to be like if i flip it this way but wait hold on there's a different perspective on me you're forgetting about this way mm -hmm. so my mind just constantly creates this like circle yeah i think it makes it easier for you to see things from other people's shoes and you know all of that like if we only think the way we think and we think that that's the only way, we're going to be a lot of blockages and challenges in time. And, and you can only gain that by experience because if you're not aware of 
those situations or those shoes because you can only feel those shoes or mm-hmm. the, that experience if you actually felt it. You know, it's yeah. like, not like saying you like you fell and you broke your pelvis. I've sure. never done that. I can talk about it, but I've never actually felt right. it. Yeah, it's kind of like I was talking to this girl and she's like 25 or something. And she was like talking about how certain she was compared to this other person. And I was like, you are certain now. But when you have another 10 years of experience existing, like that dumbass had no experience. I'm getting it now. You know, it's this like slow. That's why hindsight is 2020. Like you think you're so like you've got it or you're so smart or whatever it is at some point in your life. And then you have another one of those points where you're like, that wasn't it. But what if you can leave those points and be like, I'm always stupid. Like, I'm so <laughs> dumb. I'm gullible. Well, I think when you have an excitement for what you'll know in the future, that's like a healthier way, you know, where it's like, I know so much more now on the other side of like getting to the latter years of my 30s than I did in my early 30s and in my late 20s. And I can't wait to be on the other side, like be halfway and then some through my 40s because there's going to be such wisdom to gain from there, you know? So it naturally, the more life experience you get and the more you are interested in life, because if you lose your spark at some point, then like all you're going to do is dread being 45 or whatever it is, um, you, you always know you're going to be better in some way. As long as you're interested in growth. I think the question that I asked was a little bit placed wrong, but what I meant was like, I know you don't lose the aspiration, but pushing towards it at a point in life, like how is it that one, like you said, you lose your spark, but you can't lose it if, if you're thinking positive, like you're looking forward to the wisdom. So in, to my perspective, how I think about it, so you're addicted to wisdom, or is it that you think that wisdom is a higher, higher chance of evolution, or that is that how you look as transcendence? Like, what oh, is your your inspiration yeah, in it? I don't know. Like, what come? It's like a chicken or egg thing. Like, what came first? Yeah, because I don't like to be addicted to anything, mm-hmm. but I can't help but do certain things, like be interested in my spiritual because growth it's instinctual growth. yeah it feels beyond an addiction it feels like who i am and some people don't have that growth some people will get like some sort of new lesson like they discovered something about themselves and they'll just obsess over it which i don't think is healthy because then you welcomed in a new wisdom and then you stopped by obsessing over that one thing that one wisdom nugget instead of living from that wisdom you know it's almost like the numeration synchronicity when you stop mm. and say oh 11 11 yeah right it's the same thing like you're stopping to pay attention and then to something move on. so minimal don't start writing a bunch of numbers on the wall and get all fucking wild about it you yeah. know like you gotta be you gotta like okay thank you angels moving on yeah it's yeah. not like oh i'm gonna talk to my loved one about right. it and do this and this and that <laughs> But you're stopping your life, like you said. Yeah. You're t- absorbing it so much, and it becomes, pause. yeah, it, beca- it becomes a rupture in your bubble. Maybe does it become some type of bad situation in, in your ongoing, or does it affect you in any way when you grab onto something so much, or is it just yeah. the addiction that it becomes an addiction at that point? 
I don't think so. I don't think it's, be um, I don't think it ruptures your bubble. It just stunts your growth. And your back five steps. Yeah. It's like, all right, how long are you going to sit there? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> See you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> See you in hell. <laughs> So is there any tactics that you sell a course to or you hide from the public but are aware of that oh, you would like to share? that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you're hiding right now? Exactly. What are, are you, you sitting at? <laughs> it's a whoopee cushion. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I share most everything I've been gifted because all the knowledge that I've been gifted is simply that, a gift. And those are meant to be given. So I make sure that I put everything out there. So you're not sadistic and just doing it for love and money. I'm not a sick freak. <laughs> yeah, no. And I encourage people to do the same. Like I was talking to someone today and she's like, listen, I have to be honest with you. I'm doing a Bikram training, which like whatever drama around that. But it's like new teachers become studio owners and then they need to run their business. So they hold trainings and it's not necessarily a good time for them to hold trainings because they're baby yogis and whatever. And I'm just like, great. Glad for you. You know, I hope it works out great. I hope your students get what they need. And that's enough, you know, whereas I had a teacher who I don't see anymore because she was mean. Basically it was like, who do you think you are doing this? Blah, blah, blah to everyone. Or wow, you look like shit now, like trying to, there was one time where she was like, um, we're like, listen, why don't you just accept who you are and what you look like now instead of always trying to like lose weight and get back to being in some sort of shape that you think you need to be in? And she was like, because I'm better than you, which was, <laughs> we, we like so many of us started laughing, I think, because like, what else are you going to do in that moment? But <laughs> Like, not the point. Literally not the point. You want to lose weight because you need to show us that you're better than us? Yeah. The best teachers make students who are better than them. Like, let your people that have learned something from you go so far down that rabbit hole that they know more than you in it, and they can teach you something one day. And if you can't do that as a teacher, then get off, get out of there, you know? So yeah, I don't, I don't hoard my knowledge at all. Um, and sharing it helps me learn it and use it, you know? So I try to, if I'm going to teach something, I always honor the people that I've learned it from. I always make sure that I'm giving back monetarily because that's what matters um, in a capitalistic society. I always make sure that I'm paying my dues, um, but I don't claim the knowledge as my own because it's not. That's like because you're saying that that you're larger than that was given to you at that point, right? I'm saying that the knowledge is something on its own and no one owns it, especially yeah. like an IV, right? It's like everything it's, around you, nobody owns anything, right? Right? It's funny that we think we do, we don't, and, and that's what makes everything a situation the fact that we have a power over that. Uh -huh. Whether if it's I have my seat on the right hand side and you sit over there because mm -hmm. that's your seat, yeah, that's putting a sense of ownership over the 
thoughts of it's the same with being. the kids going back to the kid conversation right it's mm-hmm. like this is my kid they're gonna do what i say and it's like you know that i'm big you're small blah 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 and it's just a bu- like we're just a bunch of if you think about us at the simplest way just like matter pushing against matter and consciousness punching against consciousness i love seeing like, it in the microwave yeah like it's, it's it makes more sense mm-hmm. because like us cells do these things as we interact right. and grow and, str- and strengthen themselves like you, you were explaining the pupating stage mm-hmm. like how a, a pupae comes out right well they develop it into something beautiful but it takes a lot of stress and push right that's what cells do that's what we are yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if you think of mushrooms it's like the all that needs to happen for mycelia to fruit is a change in environment and it's like all we need to do to grow is to change our perspective and if you're resisting the reality of what's in front of you you aren't gonna grow you know it's like this is a consciousness and a tiny thing tiny person talking to me just consciousness too, but like a bigger person, and we're just like simply wow, you know, like the simplicity. That could of just it. be a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, right. <That> clip. <laughs> the simplicity of us really takes the weight off of the resist, the heaviness that resistance creates. So you're not hoarding your knowledge. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's the way I see it in the reptile community. Um, it's really hard to breed reptiles. They Is say, it? They say. But in reality, you need a male and a female, you know, but it's raising good biology. temperatures and, and the way that they are in their husbandry, yeah. meaning that a certain animal will react in Australia a certain way. We have to keep certain temperatures. Yeah, yeah. So what they hide is what temperatures do you drop in inside of Arizona or what oh, temperatures do you drop in Texas? Like yeah. That's what they hoard. They hoard this knowledge of knowing yeah. when the temperature drop is or when they should put the female with the male. Like they don't want to share it because they know that this guy who's nobody's going to make a breedable sale and uh-huh. they're going to overtake their clients. When in reality, there's so many clients in the reptile world that we shouldn't be doing. And they're so, I don't know, when we see everyone who is in the same community as us as competition, Mm -hmm. then we're not actually going to grow our community. And if they look at the top heads, like the people who call themselves the representation of who we are, they share. Yeah. They don't just hide their knowledge. They share it. How did you get there? Exactly. Yeah. So there's guys that actually debunk these rules and things. Like, you just need to take the loop and go down the rabbit hole to understand it. Right. But it, I wish it could make it easier. And that's what we're trying to do to the fact where we can make it easier for others. Yeah. It really is. Just put a female and a male together. I love it. And allow <laughs> it to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like breeding rabbits. Really not hard. Not hard at all. It's more of, I think, and this is what I wanted to ask you. I think the perception of you putting so much attention into something makes it reality right Mm -hmm. so the fact that you are thinking and saying this is not going to work because i read it in the book and it's going to say that it's not going to work so it's not going to work it's not going to work so you're putting that into existence to a point right do you think that that's real or is that something that just made up into our spiritual culture of this era i don't know i was having this conversation with my partner because she was like i don't think you understand how much this happens to me like i made this exact money and then this thing happened and the, because the car is broken, 
now I got a bill for that exact money. Like, like this happens to me all the time. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like. Let it be, ma'am. Yeah, right? like it just kind of had something happened and then something happened. I don't know. I don't know if that's. I don't, I'm not the type of person that puts a bunch of weight on stuff like that, but I don't know. I think I just live in a different place in my mind or something. I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. I know affirmations work for a lot of people where they repeat this thing and like fake it till you make it type of thing. You know, I am love, even though you feel like trash. You're like, love isn't trash, so I'm not love. Wait, no, I'm love, I'm love you know, or whatever it is. Um, I, I've never, never gotten into affirmations. I love mantra, but like, you're not gifted the meaning of mantra before you do the mantra, the mantra's meaning reveals itself to you. And I feel like that's more of the way that I live my life where like the weight of things or whatever it is that I tell myself, or it just kind of like unfolds instead of me implementing it. Um, and I've had to do work to like get places like I've had to create be like all right we're gonna write this story like let's put a picture of this car on the mantle come on car or whatever <laughs> it is you know like let's manifest something sure but um I don't live my life by those things I'm sure people would like that to be the case but that's not my fancy it's a good way to, to start the practice like forget about the little things you know it's it's <clears throat> like we're going back to the enumeration thing it's like the same thing if you look at it like you see synchronicity, stop looking at the smaller things and just focus on the larger picture. I mean, I love that stuff. Like synchronicities are cool. I often think of someone and they call me or I, you know, those types of things happen constantly but, but, when you're tapped in. But like you're saying, it's like you should be aware to use them as it's a yes from the universe, but not vocalize it to make it something bigger than it shouldn't be. The obsession over it, I think, is not necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, my, my dog passed away when my daughter was being born, my second daughter. She was uh, half uh, English Bulldog, half Basset Hound. Mm. And we were heading to a doctor's appointment. She runs out the door and she gets run over by a car. Oh, my God. Right on the head. It was a horrible scene. Oh my, my wife God. was pregnant. No, that's She's dramatic. like, you fucking bitch, you're running in front of my dog. Like, yeah. She was, like, pregnant. Like, you're going to pop the baby out. Chill yeah, out. So, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Keep that thing in there. Yeah. Yeah. So we took her to the hospital. They put her down. Yeah. And you know, we, we took her to we took her to Pima first because we were kids at the time. Yeah. We're like, we can't afford that bill like That's surgery true. and everything. Yeah. And then they told us they're gonna put her down. So yeah. I'm like, you know what? We're gonna take her down. We want her actually. Yeah, we yeah. took her down. So we had like I wanna say like eight hundred dollars in like the account. And it was like four ninety something, it was like six hundred total. But we were short on baby food and some yeah, other stuff. Sure. So we just paid it off and whatever. I went walking that same day. And down the street, on the left-hand side where the neighbors were at, as I was looking through the grass, there's a $5 bill. Mm. So I'm like, okay, cool. Five bucks. I'm going to buy a lottery oh, yeah. ticket. Yeah. I buy a lottery ticket. $496 after tax is what I got. Exactly what I paid for my dog's funeral or cremation. I, I was like, holy shit, like, this is a synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, just shut up and don't yeah. talk. About it. <laughs> Let them keep coming. Abundance, abundance. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting that you, like, you used the $5 instead of being like, all right, well, I better fucking hoard this because, you know, you like, 
funneled it into the circulation of flow. Because I was like, what what is five dollars gonna do right now? Yeah, no I was shit. like lottery right. tickets, become millionaires today. <laughs> that's sick. And she was like, shut up about my bill and yeah. here's your money back. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> From my dog. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, it was it was love that I felt like not because of the monetary thing, yeah. but it was like, okay, she's, she's watching. Yeah. <laughs> she's looking over. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how support shows up. And, and it, it, it clicked more because the first time out was red in Santa Ia, and mm. they read you with shells and there's an oracle system. Okay. My godmother told me that if there was a dog in front of me that would always clean my path. And that was my dog Jasper mm. that grew up with Chloe, the one that went over. And he was deaf. So wow. he knew sign language and cool. like she was the ears to him. Wow. So like when she passed away and he was no longer there, like her her previous owner had her because we had given her given him up. Um, we were just moving from one house to another. And out of nowhere, when she had passed away months after, and they're like, hey, we have Jasper here at Pima. Is, are you the owner? And I guess they had already had contacted the previous owner, the first owner, mm -hmm. and he ended up in his first family. So the dog that I had adopted from the society came yeah. back to the first owner that he ever had, the, the one that had him as a puppy. Wild. So it was like just this big energy thing with yeah. animals and dogs. It's really cool. That's why the George of the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> animals have always been there. <laughs> so on to animals. Um, do you know of any animal that you find resemblance or attributes in yourself? Meaning that there's something that you just say like, oh, this is me because it looks cool or because this lion's a bad motherfucker and this is who I am. Yeah. So I have some like weird memories of being a wolf in a past life. And like a lot, like not a pack wolf, which is interesting. Like a solitary wolf. Yeah, like a lone wolf. And I have that feeling a lot as a human. I love partnership, but I don't, I can't do like the traditional partnership because I need so much self exploration which is interrupted by like a, a fully partnered life. Uh, and what's weird is like cats really never liked me. I have a cat, but they always were afraid of me for no reason. And it's almost like my smell or something. And they'd be like, you're, you know, this is a, predator for sure um but the more i kind of understood like wolf energy and dog energy like i won't even i grew up with dogs never had cats i got a cat just because i found one and um yeah i don't know why i well i know why i have cats now is because the independence but i think a lot of it stems from this like strange memory and vivid imagery that i've had of being this like solitary warrior that's like watching from afar but not actually Fine. yeah and it happens too in like friend groups like i skirt the outsides of groups of friends all the time like people know who i am watching you show up when you need me make sure you know i love you but never like in the group of friends. I'm just kind of always on the outsides of things. 
I've always paid attention to that observer. Yeah, I've like been an observer. That's been the description of me since I was like two. Really? Mm -hmm. Because it's that person who watches over that teaches you more than anybody else. Because mm. I was the person that walked in the room, and, and not to be egoistic and enlarge myself, but I walked in the room and there was always just light. And mm -hmm. People always crowded around. Mm. That's always been my vibration. But I always tend to cling on to the people that are outside of the bubble, like I like your attention because mm -hmm. you're not showing me that that clinginess, or I just like to right. be the outsider. And I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. So that might be it. Mm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite animal besides your representation of? My favorite animal is probably the snake. Really? I just think that they're, the fluidity at which they move and the quickness at which they strike is, there's like something that is not intimidating, but is like lesson giving, you know? And I've, been bit by snakes before and I had snakes as kids. Um, we had a lot of pet, our house was in school. <laughs> and I just always, I don't know, I, I love them in like a non-disruptive way, which like if this was me probably like 15 years ago, I would have been like, I love bunnies. And I love them in a very aggressive way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, ah, why are you so cute? But yeah, there's like a respect that I feel for snakes and it's like a, a very mutual thing almost. I think I've met energy or I understood, I'm not saying I fully understand it, but I kind of merged with energy when I found reptiles mm. because it's like, it's my language. I, I like the way they move the fluidity, like you're saying, mm -hmm. but their attention. Yeah. to detail their attention to just everything around them. And let me bring up uh, one of the snakes. Sorry okay. about moving out. Who do we get so, to see? So you can see a snake. Watch it bite me on camera. <laughs> this is what they call a false water cobra. False? Yeah. So it's a water snake, but okay. it's called a false water cobra because it hoods up its neck like that. Wow. The inquisitiveness of this animal is insane. And it's the same type of, of, of mannerism that they have. You know, they, they study everything in front of them and behind them without them, you know, being aware of them. Mm -hmm. But you can tell by, by just touching them, you know, like they're reactive wow. to it. And that's what you mean. Like, I understand, like, there's some type of energy that you understand with the animals you respect. Right. Because that they have a higher, higher understanding than you. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's so interesting to think about, like, what would I instinctually be doing instead of what am I overthinking and trying to do? Mm -hmm. And there's like so many lessons in watching an animal in there. Like there's a breath technique that we do that is based off of watching animals in they're after a, a, a disturbing moment, like after they've escaped being eaten or something like that, where they shake and they do this breath thing and to like release the trauma of the thing that had just happened to them. And so that kind of like 
wisdom is given to us because naturally you might feel like you're really shaky after a really like jarring thing where all the adrenaline's running through your body, but we don't walk into it. We don't like allow the shaking to continue. We like try to get everything back together and like get our shit together and blah, 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 or whatever it is, instead of being like, okay. And that happened to me in jail, what you're just explaining. And I was booked into jail before I got into animals. Yeah. Um, and I was uh, <clears throat> in the process of helping a guy who, who knew Santeria or was in the spiritual practice. And my madrina had told me, you know, never read anybody in a dark spot. Don't utilize certain mm. things. And, and just it would be sacrilegious. But I did it for the guy out of love because I felt like something was telling me to do it. But I allowed myself to feel the vibration. And I got sick for like a week well, because I, I it just I, it took over me and I was crying and it was just so much vibrance. Mm -hmm. But because I allowed it to happen, I just saw so much that night. Right. Like it wasn't visual, but it was just like energy coming to me. Names enumerations just like it was just power and power and power not for me but the person that i was right helping yeah animals are very interesting <laughs> great teachers so the snake that would be your your favorite animal yeah have you ever felt any connection besides the the wolf to a snake um I don't know that I have much snake in me. I have a lot of reptile in me though, like in, I feel comfort on a hot rock, but also like the need to be some sort of chameleon and like mold to the environment that I am in is very necessary. Yeah. And it's a survival instinct or is more like you like to feel no, I think it's a way to connect with the people you're around. You know, like I travel a lot. You're a good mimic. Yeah, well, I do love that. Like I love to mimic the, like I love accents and things like that. And when I speak other languages, it's like the first thing I love about it is the way speaking in a different way feels in my mouth. Like the way my tongue has to move differently when I try to relate to someone else and like speak in a different way, use my words differently so that they can better understand me and we can better connect in some way like that is really stimulating, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing it in a way that is for my safety. It's a way to relate or a way to connect, you know, it's why I found it important to learn Spanish. It's why I found like living in, the U.S. in general, um, even though I'm Italian and can't speak Italian. But yeah, there's this like, where do I live and what do I need in, in this time? You know, when I'm in India, I'm spending a lot of time there. I'm learning and studying Hindi and learning Devanagari, trying to make sure that I'm realizing the space that I'm in, not trying to get people to meet me, you know? Just allowing it to happen. Yeah, it's pretty natural. Does he have a name? His name is Poseidon. Poseidon. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he was a 2019 hatchling produced here in Tucson. Wow. How 
How big is he going to get? You can get him to eight foot long. Okay. <laughs> On your way. Oh, you look good. If you had one piece of advice to offer any freelancer or an entrepreneur, what would it be? Notice when you don't want to be doing what it is you're doing anymore and don't do it. And how do we notice? I think it's that resistance. You know, when you have some sort of second thought about what it is you're doing and you feel it in your body, that's a pretty sure sign that there has to be a different option that you can take. Like, and be okay with saying no. You know, I think when you have your own business or you're trying to get yourself out there, you just like everyone needs to be a yes man or something. It's like, no, this is going to be an opportunity. And it's like, sometimes it's not worth your time. Absolutely. And if you say no to something that doesn't feel right, you're going to make space for something that does. I love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes with everything. And in relationships. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> so the last one, who would you consider your spirit animal to be? Well, I think as a white person, I'm not supposed to have a spirit animal. I don't think I'm supposed to say it. <laughs> like, it's not, not PC, right? There's, like, a big movement to not. Because um, I don't know what that means, even, you know? Like, to have a spirit animal in Native culture is, like, something that I don't innately understand. Well, this is not non, non, uh, derivative to, to Native culture. What I'm trying to explain with by that question would be more as who do you find yourself in the realm of the animal realm? So who would Gianna be if she happened to cre be, create herself as an animal tomorrow? Not saying that yeah, she went sure. into practice and became some type of yeah, uh, or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I would say at this point in my life, it would be the zebra. Zebra? Yeah. Why? Because there's just like a flashiness about their existence that it's, it. they are the modern, they are the actual unicorns. Like, look at a zebra. And like, I have, a, my motorcycle is all zebra. The inside of my car is all zebra. And it just happened that way. I didn't, I wasn't like, I love zebra. It was like, you know what? This feels like a zebra. I think this is a zebra. And then I like zebraed my bike and I was like, oh my God, there you are. Leave <laughs> the red zebra. <laughs> of course. Um, but there's just, and I love the sound they make. It's like no other. It's like there's something. Like chirp. Yeah, it's like a oh, kind of like a chirpy horse. And they're just bizarre. An annoying white chick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, why do you gotta dress? Why? We see you, okay? <laughs> we see you. Great. I love that you're existing. Love that for you. Like, but I'm going to stay over here. You know, like, I love the sight of just a lone zebra. Mm. And, like, you'd never, I would never see an actual zebra here unless I went to the zoo, which is, like, why I love the zebra so much. Because it's, like, not something that I would, like, I love dogs. I love cats. I love snakes. Like, you know, frogs, lizards, I see you all the time. But this thing that I just never, I'll never come across on accident is so fascinating to me, you know? There's so much shit in the U.S. You can see so many things. It's actually kind of insane. 
you know, even in Tucson and like going up Mount Lemon, like you could see a bear. What do you mean? <laughs> Bears in Pima County? There's what are you talking mountain about? Mountain lions. There's mountain lions there. Like that blows my mind. But this thing that I will never accidentally see is like there's a almost like the mystery there of its existence. Do you think it's that connection between like you being in another country where you saw other ecological system and you're like amazing? Oh shit, like there's an entire little world under that rock. Like where you put yourself in like, oh, I need an animal that stands out because yeah. like I never see that. Maybe it's just a longing of something. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's it's purely um, aesthetic and like maybe the egoic. So that's your totem. Of, okay. See, you're teaching me about the, the spirit realm. So the totem would be who you find yourself to be the representation. Okay. But who is it that people see when Gianna steps in? I would say, in my perspective. Yeah, someone needs to tell me because I don't know. Like a flamingo. Like, okay, they're very unique. They're very precise. But they 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 spend their life scavenging through through water to find the, the smallest of krill to make them beautiful and pink. Mm. Not that they want to, but right. because they spent their entire life doing that practice. I love that. Flamingo. Yeah, that tripped me out when I was like, what do you mean flamingos are pink because of what they eat? Yeah. It's like the carrot thing. Have you ever eaten too many carrots? Have you ever gone to the biosphere? Yes. Yeah. So there was that study where they actually turned orange because they were <laughs> oh, eating Oh, that's right. Carrots. Totally. So I when I went vegan, it was like nobody, I was like 14 or something. Nobody knew it was vegan. Like the, the Boca Burger wasn't around. Uh, and so... I just ate a lot of the same thing, and orange things were very common in my. So we turned a little orange. Richness. Yeah. That's I'll a, take that, it. that's the uh, monetary value in the Yoruban culture. It was corn and oranges, mm. so they would exchange that for cleaning my house or taking care of my kids. Right. You would give them an orange, and that was gold to them. It's an auspicious color. It's yeah. the, the color you sit upon. The queens of the Yoruban culture would have crowns made of oranges, calluses of oranges, or the, the dry custard of the orange. Mm. It was it was very pretty. Oshun, um, she actually just fell off, but she was uh, she was always a representation of the oranges. But she's a deity that represents love, sexuality, honey, gold, the color of yellow, the color of orange, mm -hmm. pineapples. Mm -hmm. But she she was always a uh, a deity to be feared because if you feared her love or you betrayed her, she would send you to to the cemetery with her sister. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know her sister. <laughs> and her sounds like she likes saying no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. There's a lot of parables. There's about 456 stories found in 256 Pataki's. Pataki is a, a fragment of one story of what that Orisha lived. So what they believe is that these Orishas had different uh, representations at different points in their lives where they died and came back. So you belong to that representation at one point in life according to what letter comes out when you're being read. So there's no two one phrase that can ever belong to somebody else who's being read. And if that ever happens, is because you're a twin to that person, because right. your soul is somewhat karmic Simple. to that other soul. Right. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, Diana, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. It was a great conversation. Me.
I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Same. You said it was the what animal did you the zebra? That was your totem animal. That's totally my totem animal. Yeah. Your flamingo is what I said is your spirit I'll animal. Take it. Take it, but yeah. figure it out. You know, it's not something to do with culture or anything at all. And that's that's something that I want to be aware of as well. People don't know that this has nothing to do with native culture. Yeah, right? and it's yeah. just something that I felt that I've, I found nourishment in myself by looking at these animals and seeing their patterns and seeing the way that they move and their gestures and their mobility that I grew. Yeah. So that's what I want people to resemble themselves. Like, what can I find in nature? And how can I become as great as that animal? Because it, to some point, we are these animals who we evolved from them. Right. We have the same capabilities. Again, they're great teachers. Yeah. Yep. We're chilling over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Bolsa Balls, how are you doing, brother? Thank you so much for joining. You guys have a good night.